just see a white rabbit go into a recording studio just now? I was thinking of Alice in Wonderland before the pod began, but maybe it's a coincidence. Or maybe I'm just high as fuck on hallucinogenics or some sort of mind-altering device. <laughs> like, the fact that it takes them so long. Like, is this a history where LSD wasn't invented in the Star Trek universe and they just don't know? About the, like, it's Alice in Wonderland. You should know right away you're on psychedelics if you're seeing Alice in fucking Wonderland. Like, oh, what, we should introduce ourselves. Yeah, I, so I am your Alice wow. Missy information here on a fantastic, weird, I don't even know how to describe this mishmash of an adventure in public domain. Like, it truly is such a bizarre episode of Star Trek. Emily, oh, Hi. wonderful Emily, Captain Emily, what is, what, what is this? What did Hello, I just watch? Everyone. Hello, welcome to Red Sharts. That's right, it's Red Sharts, where we talk about the most batshit thing that was ever created. The only thing batshit enough to really inspire Futurama to that strong, uh, wonderful degree uh, is Star Trek. And today we're talking about shore leave. Shore leave. Because don't we dis all deserve? <sighs> we all deserve just a, a little break. vacation. A little we vacation. We all deserve a little bit of a break. Exactly. A break. A little vacation. Uh, let, let, let's get into it. This is shore leave. This was uh, written by Theodore Sturgeon and directed by Richard Sparr uh, or Robert Sparr. Robert Sparr. It was Robert Sparr. Um, and this is our, what, what number episode is this, Missy? This is episode 15 and was number 17 in production. Yeah. So this is Shore Leave, uh, written by Theodore Sturgeon. Does the name Sturgeon sound familiar to you? Well, apart from it being a fish, like... I know there's a famous sturgeon out there, but I can't think of who it is. Was fair enough. Was uh, there like a pot, like a politician named Sturgeon? I was uh, thinking more of uh, within Star Trek. Oh, within Star Trek. Yes. Oh no, Perhaps have we have we done an episode from him before? Lieutenant, uh, no, but we did meet a Lieutenant Sturgeon who died on our oh, very first yes. outing. He was not a red shirt. 
but he was salt sucked all the same. I needed to look within just like yeah. they needed to look within on today's episode to yep. figure out the answers. I thought you were going to say for salt. <laughs> so, yes, for salt. For their salt. <laughs> no, these are the, this is the salt of imagination. Uh, mm -hmm. So Theodore Sturgeon um, was a really famous science fiction author. And at, at a certain point, at this point, he was the most anthologized science fiction writer oh, in wow. American literature. Um, of course, no longer. Um, but was at one point. Uh, he crazy, crazy famous for this. Um, he's known for Sturgeon's Law or Sturgeon's uh, revelation, the adage that 90% of everything is crap. Oh, interesting. That's <laughs> uh, funny. According to the lore, when it was heard by someone else, uh, heard that he was writing for Star Trek, they're like, Theodore, don't you know that 90% of science fiction on television is crap? And he was like, 90% of everything is crap! Um, which I love. That's a beautiful way to to sort of to sort of summarize the general glob of right. of culture that exists of output that is out there, pretty much. Um, but he was uh, the first stories he published. I don't know if it was the first stories, but some of the first and certainly the first recognized stories in science fiction that dealt with homosexuality. Ooh, yeah. World's Ooh. Well Law uh, in 1953 and Affair with a Green Monkey in 1957. I cannot speak to the names. I do not know what is in those I was books. just going to say, if Affair with a Green <laughs> Monkey is interesting, because I'm like, well, wait a minute. Are they equating? Never mind. Uh, and sometimes he put gay subtext in his work, such as the back rub scene in Shore Leave. Yes, I am. I'm reading straight from the Wikipedia here. Um, <laughs> I just pulled out my favorite, like, mini paragraphs from it to create my own little story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, a Western story, Scars. Uh, he was in multiple heterosexual relationships throughout his life. He fathered seven kids, but had uh, queer experiences. Uh, only one of which is sort of remembered because he wrote about it as having a gay experience as a as a young man with another young man. Um, he was a member of the all-male literary banqueting club, the Trapdoor Spiders, uh, which served as the basis for Isaac Avin Asimov's fictional group of mystery solvers, the Black Widowers. Um I have heard of none of these. This is fascinating. Fair. This guy is like super, super interesting. Like, there, wait, so I, there was an all, I mean, not surprised that it's all male. But <laughs> there was just like a group of like in people where it's like, oh, you have to be like a writer to get into yeah. this thing. What, who else remembers of this? Uh, that's a good question. And thankfully, uh, it's a little link. So I can tell you. They're, uh, they were in New York City. Uh, membership composed of notable science fiction personalities. Um, oh, a bunch of sci-fi nerds basically yeah. got together and said, oh, we got yeah. excluded in high school, so now we're <laughs> going to make our own club and we're going to be the ones in charge of it. So essentially, there could be an angle here where this is like the social network. 
Yeah, Isaac, Isaac Asimov was in it. Um, I'm trying to just mention people whose names I recognize, mm-hmm. which might... I mean, Isaac Asimov being a big, big old name, it would make sense why they had them. sort of connective tissues between them. Yeah, a bunch of... Uh, uh, just a bunch of people whose names I do not recognize. George O. Smith. Uh, oh, not George H. Smith. I recognize the name George A. Smith, who was another science fiction author. I'm guessing that's <laughs> why they had to have the distinction between the letters. Um, oh, L. Ron Hubbard attended a meeting. <laughs> but the, but he thought, oh, this isn't my kind of, you know, closed, sectioned off uh, club. I need my own. Supposedly. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like the Inklings, but it seems like more like up their own ass than like actually just passing around their manuscripts to like get notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so not really like the inklings, but that's okay. Um, we can all just love J.R. Tolkien. Oh, and do you recognize this? Uh, he was the inspiration for the recurrent character Klingor Trout in the novels of Kurt Vonnegut. I'm familiar with the name. I'm not a Kurt Vonnegut reader. Um, Fair. And so uh, I, I I just know it by it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of general existence. And and having to know the trivia of Kurt Vonnegut, you know, just the, mm-hmm. the top oh, yeah. of line things in, trivia. You know, for trivia questions and such. Just the trivia. Um, I fucking love the character Klingor Trout. In my, in my adolescence, I had many fictional father figures mm-hmm. as a young person growing up without a real one um and klingor trout was one he was just a crotchety weird old science fiction author that doing weird shit in these kurt vonnegut books just being a fucking wild psychedelic weirdo uh so i would i got really excited with that um so so this was who it was written by and I so want to sort of make sense in terms of the pulpiness of this episode, mm. you know, because if he's, you know, someone who's who's with science fiction and sort of like known for like just putting out a lot of output, he'd have a lot of ideas of smooshing together a yes. lot of different ideas. Yes. And uh, so it was directed by Robert Sparr. Robert Sparr did a great job, according to all accounts, and according to, like, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it's um, very, it was very well shot, yeah. especially with all the outdoor scenes. Mm-hmm. However, the cast disliked working with him, resulting in this only being his only Trek assignment. And according to Justman, the producer, uh, he said that the challenging task of directing a complicated episode literally hours after the script arrived mm, mm, uh, resulted in Spar not concentrating enough on the actors hurting their feelings. Boo-hoo. And I'm sure they were being so needy because it was outdoors. So they're like, am I being lit right? It's really warm. How come I have to wear a stupid princess costume? So the basic idea for this episode was actually in Gene's original proposal for Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. So like the seed of this idea. Um, uh, but then, you know, they handed it to Sturgeon. Um, he was like, wow, I'm so excited. I have this really famous literature novelist doing an episode for me. Famous. He's such a famous sci-fi writer. Um, and we do we know how well that's worked out for Gene in the past? 
you know, doesn't it end up with Gene having to do a bunch of rewrites because he's basically like, wow, I want you to write. The, I think you'll make the ideal Star Trek episode. But the problem is then people don't write what's in his fucking head. So then he comes back, he says, okay, this is great. I just have some other ideas. I'm going to rewrite it with a bunch of notes so that you make it what I want it to be, what's in my head. And then we can pretend that you made it. Or do you know what? Here, instead, of, I'll just write it myself. How about we do that? <laughs> That's one of the two options that it seems like goes back and forth with Gene. And this one, uh, you know, sometimes we sit under trees and we write scripts. So Sturgeon's Treatment, it read more like a really disjointed short story Okay. when it first came back. Justman was appalled, like oh. actively appalled, like things this guy was suggesting things like mechanical arms coming up from the ground like a giant interior set of the planet with a factory um there was no like story that we wove through the vignettes mm -hmm. it was just a bunch of disjointed vignettes so he got back like this big long thing from Roddenberry um that was like so this is how you write a story uh could maybe we get that um or we should say this is how you write a screenplay because exactly. he probably wrote a really good short as he said he probably wrote a great short story or a good short story but then it's like okay now think about this being filmed by cameras with people doing it yes and then let's get back to how we would do this precisely um it's almost like writer's room with writers that have time on set um it works better um yeah. <laughs> but you know in the next treatment you got they got a treatment back and those mechanical arms were taken out and no other notes were addressed you think oh i see what you said mechanical arms that was your issue okay 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 they're I gone got i got you i got you no more arms now we'll just have a character uh walk a horse into the center of the planet that's easier right uh, <laughs> so Gene didn't have time to change anything about it before sending it to NBC. Stan Robertson was disappointed, to say the least. He was like, the writer uh, appears to have written something less than dramatically sensational, was the Oof. quote. Oof. Oof. That's damn. That is the most damning. Like, what a piece of shit I've ever heard. I mean, I'm sure they put it that way because it's a fine mm -hmm. literary writer. So it's like, let me put him down gently. It's just saying, who wrote this? <laughs> who wrote this steaming pile of horse manure that was yep. brought into the center of this cavern? Yep, straight up. Um, so he called it a series of cameos versus a story. Yeah, and that would make sense with the setup of this. Is yes. that if he, if it's just like, it's the Leo pointing meme of yeah, like Alice mm -hmm. in Wonderland, and hey, there's Don Juan, and hey, there's this, and there's mm -hmm. that. But then, how do they all connect? Like, where's the connective tissue? Exactly. Uh, the next treatment was sort of something between an outline and a screenplay, the kind of thing that you like can't just hand the working crew of mm -hmm. a TV thing and have them be able to parse it um so that was gene was like so dude could you maybe like write me a real screenplay he wrote back sturgeon wrote back he's like stop calling my stuff novelistic um 
And it's like, Gene, you like your issue. And and this was a thing that he would like tell other writers. He had all these sci-fi writers writing him screenplays. Mm-hmm. And none of them could write fucking screenplays. I think it's a Gene problem. Sturgeon's like all their screenplay velas. Right? <laughs> He's like, I am a communicator by trade. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gene was like, okay, so dare to say that it's like a novel because um only the people backstage are actually going to get your story because they're reading your script, which was written for the people backstage to read because you're writing a book. Um, meanwhile, Sturgeon sent back like a finalish version of it, which he renamed out of nowhere to Finnegan's Planet. Uh, oh my god! And then we've had enough. We've had enough X Y Z Planet, you know, storyline names so far. We don't need another one. Right? He also sent it in two parts. Which was like, hmm. That's pretty presumptive. I've got enough huh. material here for a two-parter. Let me tell you. Yep. Yeah, like I'm going to send you the first half this day and the second half the next day. Because that's how things work. Justman was still wildly pissed. Um, He said... Also, maybe let's not put anyone in a large rabbit suit. Maybe it'll just look like someone in a large rabbit suit. That's kind of dumb, right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad they kept it. But yes, it also is incredibly dumb. Uh, Stan Robertson agreed. He had a phone conversation with Gene Roddenberry where Gene Roddenberry agreed. Like, look, NBC's not going to show this if it has this many like stupid fantasy elements. And Gene's like, I've got you, but I am dying from exhaustion. So I'm going to write this memo to Gene Alcoon, my other producer, my my Gene too, uh, but right before I go on vacation, and he goes on vacation, and he gets back from vacation, and the memo that he had written to Gene Alcoon about taking out the fantasy elements was still on his desk. Oh, no. So before we get into the actual episode, because boy was this just a whole intro uh theater surgeon his final quote commented about the installment uh quote that was a gas because anything could happen any wild idea you could have possibly that could uh be struck onto a script everybody had a good time with that one you know rose-colored glasses it's you gotta sell your own work on it and boy it sounds like he sure did he had a lot of fun apparently uh he wrote you know what this is actually oh he did oh my it was not produced okay that well obviously but he's like okay so you don't want a part two of it how about i give you a part two of it anyways and then we just have it (laughs) yep straight up uh straight up so Before we get into the writing of this episode, let's get into this episode, huh? Let's do it. I, you know, I have this thing whenever I'm watching something and it, and say it's the name of a thing. So this is Shoreleaf. If it gives me what it says on the tin, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I got Shoreleaf. Yep. But can I also complain that the title Shoreleaf is one of the most wildly... (laughs) unassuming titles to give this episode that it's like one of the most unassuming titles for a television show ever to have the content of it be what it is because sure we got shore leave 
but we didn't just get when you have and we're gonna spoil a cold open when you have them beaming down <laughs> onto the planet i'm gonna do your part here for captain emily for Please. a second cold open we go it's the starship enterprise they've arrived at the planet omicron delta they're scanning and it looks like the planet is congenial to human life but there's no animal or insect of any sort so they beam on down and the crew is exhausted oh my word it's been months of exhaustion kirk and spock talk about it i'm sure you'll get into the dialogue and and i agree and then Bones and Sulu go down and Sulu's like, oh, the biology, because remember, I'm a botanist on the side, too. <laughs> and he is just totally in the plants. And then Bones is like, boy, this place looks like Alice in Wonderland, because why? And then he <laughs> sees before him emerge a white rabbit and a little girl who is, of course, a stereotypical Alice from the storybooks. And that is within our cold open. And when that happened, I screamed and went, yes, 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 to the heavens above. Because this episode was written from my mind, apparently. The opening was, at least. It diverts there from. But, like, I was just so happy that we were going to get some sort of storybook element into this this area of nonsense. Uh, but, yes, you, you can give a more de- detailed opening of the cold open. But when I realized it starts yep. from there... I was like, okay, we're getting shore leave, but I can't, this is unpredictable, clearly yep. unpredictable. I don't, I don't even think that the script knows what it's doing at any given moment. I know, I know we'll get into it, but like, okay, I need to stop talking. But Captain Emily, <laughs> warp one, let's get going. Warp one, straight ahead. We open on the bridge and Kirk, well... He's sitting in his chair and his back is an aching. It's an aching. It's a kink. He's just going around and behind him, Yeoman Barrows is, uh, you know, pushing into his back with, with her elbow. Oh, yeah. That's how wild this episode is, is that I forgot it opens with a crew member just like deep tissue massaging <laughs> the captain in his chair as if it's ain't a thing. And then we just move on to it. And I'm like, I, I clocked that from the beginning. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. No, that was gone yep. by the end. I That <laughs> wasn't even in the top 100 things to bring up. But that is how, yes. Oh, it's yes. a beautiful, weird moment uh kirk he's just like oh yeah like that's that's great like a little higher mr spock a little higher mr and mr spock comes and walks up next to him it's not mr spock behind him mm-hmm. it's a lady <sighs> oh no and he's oh, like oh no, that's that's, that's okay that's okay yeoman um so this is one of the uh homosexual subtext scenes of theodore Sturgeon's <laughs> career he oh thinks it's God. Mr. Spock, and he's hella comfortable with Mr. Spock touching on him. But if it's uh, a lady girl, he's like, oh, no. He's oh. like, oh, th- th- thank you, Yum, and that's uh, sufficient. Uh, but she's all, you need sleep, Captain, if that's not out of line. Okay. okay. I kind of like how Starfleet is just like, you can also just tell your captain that he looks tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're a cranky uh, baby just a cranky baby um and spock's all like you know this is this comes from dr mccoy and they're correct after what this ship has been through the last three months there is not a crewman aboard who is not in need of rest excepting myself of course um yes because you know i'm all good i am all good and we did just go through balance of terror 
So like that was a lot. We yeah, really do need a fucking breather. Except for Mr. Spock, of course. Of course. Uh Spock's His like form of shore leave is everyone else getting off the fucking yeah. ship so that he can be there alone. That's like his vacation. I mean, he says as much later on, spoiler, yep. but yes, that like even yep. then I was like, oh no, I get it. I get it. He's like, mm, I mm. Uh, but Kirk's like, whatever, I will go to my quarters, patch McCoy through to me, uh, because McCoy is down on the planet checking out the shore for leave. On the planet, McCoy and Sulu, they're just walking along. They're looking at the lush, lush land of Africa, USA. That's right. A, a park like. I think it's like two hours uh, north of LA. I was going to say um, I, uh, this wonderful back lot that they found somewhere yeah. where it had like a modicum. It was like a, a clearly a manicured <laughs> garden space. And I'm like, I don't know if this is just the old Param or Desilu back lot or Paramount back lot, whatever it is. But yeah, it just made me laugh when I saw the shooting location. I'm like, oh, we're doing it outdoors, but we're, we're doing it in an outdoor location where they knew where everything yep. was, where every single plant was located and where they could mm-hmm. do things. Uh. Like, no animals, no people, no worries, uh, says Sulu. Also, originally, they said no insects, but Callum DeForest, who was a researcher who would make sure that the uh, they weren't infringing on intellectual property, was did his great IMDb from the future, uh, you know, thing, and he went, but plant life cannot exist without insect life. It's uh, impossible. He was their version of their internal cinema sins, and he was yeah. like, "Um, actually, um, actually, plant life like that wouldn't." He's there. not wrong, but it's true. He is not wrong. Um, and that's of course McCoy. This is something out of Alice in Wonderland. When suddenly a giant person in a rabbit suit appears. Played by William Blackburn. Not credited. Um, I enjoyed the voice that came out because it's yep. just that fun sort of, hello, I'm this sort of in-between voice where I'm not quite at win, but I'm just sort of a little bit of a fancy pants. It was like queer-coded beautiness. If we're not wanting more yeah. homo- wow. If we're wanting more homosexual subtext, I mean, the fact that Alice in Wonderland is top of McCoy's <laughs> brain, like, yep. that's a, some pretty gay shit to be thinking about first thing. <laughs> Especially when it's not as if there's anything fantastical. It just looks like the yeah. English countryside. And he's like, ah, that's the first thing I think of when I think of the English countryside. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Precisely. Um, moments later, after this this creature appears and says, oh, my stars and whiskers, I'm going to be late. Uh, disappears through a hedge. A little blonde girl with an English accent appears, looking like Alice. Excuse me, sir. Have you seen a large white rabbit? Straight out of the book. And McCoy wordlessly just points in the direction of the rabbit. He is like, huh. And then screams, Sulu! Like, Sulu, oh no! Uh-huh. I'm hallucinating again. It's happening. The rabbit is back. The little girl's back. I thought they were gone. He's all, did you see him? Sulu's like, see what? I was looking at plants. Um, so as, as we said before, 
Sam Robertson was concerned over the more fantastical elements of the story, and they needed to be toned down to be accepted. But of course, Gene Alcoon didn't get that memo in a little oopsie. Oopsie poodles. So when Roddenberry came back from his vacation and noticed that his notice was still on his desk and the shooting script uh, had the man in the rabbit suit in it, he got in his fucking car and drove two hours as fast as he fucking could to Don't Africa, USA. white rabbit suit. Don't do it. Whatever you do, don't film it. Don't film it. Um, Have you looked up Charles Dodson and his dodginess? He got there just on time for them to have just finished filming that That's sequence. so fucking funny. And I'm so glad he didn't catch it in time. We needed mm-hmm. that. We needed this episode to exist. If yep. anything, to give us a barometer for every other Star Trek episode that's out there. But at the least, uh, they spend no money on that suit. William Blackburn, who was the man inside of the suit, was a professional ice skater in real life. Uh, he played the White Rabbit and got the costume from the ice capades for free. I did not expect the word <laughs> ice capades to come up right? on any Star Trek episode, but this is so, I'm so happy right now. Like there's queer coding in the production background of this. Yep. Yep. Um, he was actually sewn into that costume. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so of course he was. Guy. The mean fucking costumer, uh, William Thice. He was like, well, we want it to blend nicely. So we sewn him fucking in and then like the poor guy couldn't breathe and then he couldn't see because they put the bow tie on him and he got such bad claustrophobia that after like 45 minutes he ripped the head off and then one of the ladies was like i could just put velcro (laughs) was it the men who decided to sew him in and the lady who was like i can get velcro yeah yep yep you guys you guys beautiful beautiful um after that it was easier and he commented wearing the gorn head in arena which is coming up uh was even worse so that's a bit of a a uh what is it foreshadowing yeah i didn't realize we had a celebrity in this episode future gorn actor exactly captain's log stardate 3025 uh we be seeing shit we be seeing shit. We are orbiting an uninhabited planet in the Omicron Delta region, a planet remarkably like Earth, or how we remember Earth to be. Park-like, beautiful, green, flowers, trees, green, lawn, quiet, and restful, almost too good to be true. Uh, so we're in Kirk's quarters. Barrows is there. She notices. She's like, Captain, you're not going on shore leave. And he's like, no, I'm I'm good. I don't she's, need it. She's going through the guest list being like, okay, here's everyone who's RSVP'd to the invite down to the <laughs> beach shore. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I'm on the event, Bright, and I see that you have not RSVP. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk is like, Spock, who has joined at this point, like, well, when are you going down, Spock? And Spock is like, not necessary in my case, Captain. On my planet, to rest is to rest. Cease using energy. 
to me, it is quite illogical to run up and down a green grass using energy instead of saving it, you stupid motherfuckers. Spock and I are on a page with that one for sure. Yes. Uh, when suddenly we hear McCoy calling in and he's just like, so um, either our ship is incorrect, all of it, the whole ship is wrong. Or I need to report myself unfit for duty because I just saw a giant rabbit run by and then a little girl run by. And there's not supposed to be any animal life here, but I saw a giant rabbit run by. Well, and my and favorite then a part, little girl. <laughs> my favorite part is that Kurt gets the message and he's like, I need to report a giant rabbit. And Kurt's like, ah, great one. Let me guess. I got one here too. You saw a little girl go behind her as well. And McCoy's like, yeah, nope, that, that's exactly it. And I know that's what you would expect. Um, this is exactly the exchange I expected to play out. Yep, yep. <laughs> and he's like, all right, doctor, I'll take your report under consideration, Captain Out. So he like hangs up and he's like, huh, that's a McCoy pill, a little mystery with sugar coating to get me down there, but I won't swallow it. He's just like, ah, oh, that McCoy being a little mischievous bastard. McCoy, because, you know, men can't ask each other to go out on a date, so they have to make yeah. excuses. So he's like, oh, McCoy's trying to, like, it's some sort of subtle intentions rather than just him asking out. He's like, oh, come see the white, the white rabbit that Alice followed down the rabbit hole, if you know what I mean, Kirk. <laughs> This is just the inspiration for The Matrix. Uh, yeah, when Neo I, follows yes. Trinity with the White Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the first time in broadcast order that we see uh, Kirk call Dr. McCoy Bones. Oh, he calls him Bones at some point in this exchange. Yeah. yeah. So Spock's like, all right, well, that was enlightening. But I have a medical uh, log here that i need to share with you captain um pick this up from dr mccoy there's a crew member board who's showing signs of stress and fatigue his reaction time is down nine to twelve percent additional rating or minus three and kirk's like oh that's much too low a rating much too low and spock's like he's become irritable and quarrelsome and he refuses to rest or take rehabilitation um now he has that right but we found, and Kirk's like, crewman's right ends where the safety of the ship begins. Oh, that man will go ashore on my orders. I'm pissed about this. Uh, what's this What's this man's name? Spock's like, James Kirk. What a <laughs> yeah. Do -do 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 -do. I, yeah. The way that Kirk's face, I, William Shatner acted this moment so great because it just yep. cuts back to Kirk's face and just the slow realization, just the slow realization yep. he has went after Spock revealed to Tim and just yep. the daggers and sort of like, uh, I can't believe you <laughs> like, this to me. Both of you, you are you trying bastard. to trick me into going arrest. It was just, you utter, utter <laughs> bastard. Like, I great you caught me in a logic corner you little vulcan prick um this was so that little bit that little sound cue the like dun, 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 dun. like i'm not give, doing it justice 
but it's basically like oh mischievous thing that just happened oh, like yeah. that's when it's it was, used it was it's funny music for when a situation yeah. you know goes wonky goes a little kooky like, this oh. this episode was rife with it yes um this was this composer gerald freed's first star trek assignment uh, and he wrote a ton of new music for this episode that they ended up reusing throughout the series, oh. um, including a sort of romance piece. Yeah. He's a romantic yeah, partner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the little jig that happens whenever he sees Finnegan. Oh, Lordy, uh, I can't wait for that to come back. Which I'll mention. Yeah. Um, so that's all over the place. So while spock is saying these things where we look back on the planet we see a rock flip over on its hinges to reveal a gun dun 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 a, a, a 21st century gun uh lieutenant rodriguez he's doing a scan with his tricorder and crewman martine uh that's right it's the same martine that we saw last uh time on uh the balance of terror the lady who was about to get married. Oh, interesting. Yes. I didn't make that connection. Wow, she's back on assignment real fast. Yeah, and she's there um, because she's the, the just the same actress. She's the casting director's wife. Um, and someone realized, wait a minute, she was on an episode, like, with an identity, like, not too long ago from shooting, because it wasn't directly after mm -hmm. that they shot these. We should give her the same name, huh? Yeah, might as well. This is one of the first moments in Star Trek history they've thought about that continuity because they've had actors back in like shifting roles that have never given a shit before mm -hmm. about if they're playing the same person or not. Um, exactly. So they're they're walking around, they're having a good time. She's like, "Oh, look at the flowers." He's like, "We have a job to do," and she's like, "But it's so nice out, and I just lost my husband." Uh, which fair enough um just then well she doesn't say that yeah in the episode. it's the subtext we understand it's the a, subtext it's subtext um just then kirk and his yeoman barrows beam down and materialize near them and they like are walking around they're just so pleased to be there it's beautiful and they go to find mccoy and mccoy shows them the rabbit tracks um i have a fun fact about the rabbit tracks from imdb when we see this rabbit walking around, it rocks around like a man. But when we look at the tracks, they're side to side as if it was hopping. <gasps> oh, someone knew too much and one person mm -hmm. knew too little. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kirk's all bones, no any good rabbit jokes lately. And McCoy's like, as a matter of fact, I do, but this is not one of them. Uh, he's like, maybe I hallucinated it. But there are tracks right here. Yeah, the tracks are what sort of make the hallucination theory go a little bit out the window, unless they're all hallucinating the tracks as well, which, given the amount of hallucinatory power we've seen in Star mm -hmm. Trek already, did, that didn't eliminate that possibility whatsoever. No, no. Uh, Kirk is like, well, it, that would be an unusual like creature to create this size of tracks because it is a man it's a man in a suit sized an ice capade sized track <laughs> yes an ice capade sized rabbit track uh kirk is like suspicious he 
calls the enterprise he's like all right cancel before we get any more people down here fucking we gotta check some shit out so cancel shore leave Aww. Aww. when suddenly kirk mccoy and barrows hear what sounds like gunshots coming out of nowhere it was chekhov's rock gun uh, except it's not chekhov's it's sulu's it's Sulu's. They run over, and it's just Sulu with utter joy, just shooting this gun off in the air and beholding it in his hand. I'm like, what are you like, doing with wow. that, that primitive weapon? Target practice, Captain. Target practice. Uh, isn't it a beauty? I haven't had any. I don't have anything like this in my collection. Wonderful. Of course he has a collection of guns. Yes, um, of course that's what he's thinking. And he's just like, oh, this is a genuine police, you know, pistol issued. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you know, centuries old. Old police special. It, they used to fire these things with a chemical reaction. Yep. Uh, he's like, isn't it a crazy coincidence? I've always wanted one like this. I've always wanted one just like this. But it was lying right over there um kirk's like you need to hand me that weapon immediately because you're just shooting in the air on this planet which is clearly making us see strange things so thank you for the gun um you're trigger happy sheriff kirk puts it in his holster just tucks it right into his his suit apparently uh so there was a justman and gene alcoon like had a whole issue with how many shots this like weapon has in it he's like we're gonna get letters from the nra if it shoots too many shots they're gonna be you know writing in like oh like that only has six shots and like they shot off eight and like so or like seven or like this and that and they like reorganized it so that it shoots only one more than the amount of bullets that would be in that gun um but the only message i saw about it on imdb was that it would be really ridiculous for Sulu to rub the barrel of the gun right after shooting it, because it would be too hot. That is absolutely true, and should have been one of their key clues that maybe these things aren't as, uh, you know, well-made as they might be, or uh, grounded in reality. But I just love that they're, like, so worried about one, like, finagly thing, and, like, no one notices. They're like, no. Yeah, no one's like the number of shots fired. Yeah, they're like, it's fine. Uh, That's when Barrow notes more footprints from the rabbit nearby. Uh, Kirk was like, our instruments could not have been that off to not notice like an animal life. Uh, Kirk orders Barrows and Sulu to investigate. And he's like, McCoy uh, and I will head back to the glade. Um... And that's when we realize, we do, they do not. What is it? A TV antenna. Yes, a little radar dish, a little boop, 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 which is targeting onto them, watching and monitoring their movements. Coming up from behind the, like a rock. I want to know who held up that wire. Yes. What was the name of that PA? It was probably Robert Chessman. No, he was actually not on set out there because he had to manage the set uh, that was on set rather than on location. Um, So McCoy is like, you know, I mean, like, this could be worse. 
He's like, yeah, it's a very unusual shore leave, but it could be worse. Kirk could have seen the rabbit. Uh, wouldn't that be funny? Kirk is suggesting that McCoy's he's he's developing a persecution complex because of the incident. McCoy's like, oh, I do feel like I'm being picked on. It it made me laugh when Kirk accused him of getting a persecution fetish because mm-hmm. that's so often the point where Kirk's in the middle of it, being like, I'm the captain, I have to make decisions. Oh, woe mm-hmm. is me! Straight up, and Kirk's like, you know, this kind of reminds me of when I used to get picked on as a young boy at the academy. There was this uh, cadet older than me named Dun 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 Finnegan. Huh? Remember that guy? He used to be really fucking annoying to me. Uh, he remembers that Finnegan was someone who would uh, leave a bowl of cold soup in your bed. Where a bucket of water propped half on a half-open door. Oh, just that a, jokester. Oh, that prankster Finnegan. Classic. Classic. Uh, you never know when he'd strike. And Kirk saw more tracks in front of them. As well as a girl's footprints. And he's like, alright, McCoy, you follow the rabbit. I will follow the girl. And McCoy is like, sweet, I have a personal grudge against that rabbit, Jim. And Kirk's like, I got a personal grudge against that girl, whoever she is. (laughs) And so he turns around to see not a not a girl, but a Finnegan. That's right, a young man of only 34, but appears to be only 20. Well, appears to be only 34, but is supposedly 20. Screaming in the most stereotypical Irish accent that could be coming from like off of the vaudeville stage it was wild just how i this is multiple occasions star trek has no problem with someone going full irish they will let someone go full irish and just basically short of throwing potatoes at kirk like (laughs) in terms of just the level of things that he does yep pretty much he's like jim you never know when I'm going. To... I can't do an Irish he, accent. He jumps you never around. Never know and, when I'm yeah, going to strike next. And he's screaming. He's shouting. He wants to fight. That's the only thing because you know yeah. he's he's just a bullish person. Like mm-hmm. you know, just not a, a very specific choice to make for a very, a very specific jolly, choice. A jolly Irishman to the point where I had to go and remember, like, okay, Kirk's. If this wasn't Kirk's roommate, I would think this would be some sort of irish mythological figure mm-hmm. named finnegan that has always Straight existed up. like is there some piece of irish lore where like you might get jumped by a guy named finnegan at any point like and this this mythological person who's always around ready for a tussle like i'd believe it like oh you know i met old finnegan and then and they would tell this tale about the fight they'd have with old finnegan you know in my young days and every irish person has a story of young Finn. like that's what i could believe this character is this mythological figure that was just just some dude from Kirk's Academy. Yup. Uh, so Bruce Mars was Finnegan, and he actually came up with the bulk of that characterization. Why? Because Gene Roddenberry, after driving his ass to set to stop the rabbit situation, uh, started just rewriting the whole rest of the episode <laughs> sitting under a tree. <laughs> It had to be driven back to the studio to get copied into scripts, to then be driven back to Africa, USA, to be handed out to everyone to shoot. 
Gene, of course, it would be from the from the twisted mind of Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> What's the most exotic thing an Irishman? Basically, uh, Bruce Mars like came up. He's like, I think it was originally written that Finnegan was like more mean mm-hmm. and just kind of like ill-tempered rather than like mischievous. Um, and he's like, what if I'm more mischievous? So he went up to well first he asked the director the director's like that's above my pay grade so then he like saw theodore sturgeon just walking around and he's like hey theodore sturgeon what if i am an irish stereotype and sturgeon was apparently in great spirits he's just like that sounds fun sure i don't care uh gene's writing the script under that tree you should probably go tell him I just love the fact that Sturgeon was like, oh, I can't wait to get onto set to watch my masterpiece. Like this thing, this piece of, of canon into a bigger thing. And then meanwhile, Gene is just racing down the freeway, like swearing at, under his breath and like at every little thing, just being like, ah, no, like trying to like, like he's Jack Ryan trying to race a bomb going off. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so Finnegan uh, and Kirk just like start fighting. He's egging him on. He's like, come on, you've always wanted to have a go at me. Come on, Jimmy boy. Uh, and like laughing maniacally. Um, and Kirk just like kind of smiles. He's like, hmm, maybe I will punch him in the face. Like maybe that will be fun for me if I just punch this apparition in mm-hmm. the face. Um, so like jer- Kirk fucking jumps him. Oh, he yeah. jumps him. He gets hands on him. They're about to wrestle when suddenly he hears a scream out of nowhere. Oh, shit. Kirk runs off to investigate and Finnegan's just like, ha ha, any excuse, Jim baby? <laughs> Run away! Run away! That's gonna sound back. Boo, bitch. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Um, so he he runs he's going to find barrows who screamed uh, mccoy appears sort of behind him uh and there's this wonderful irish little jig that plays it's like do 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 whenever finnegan appears um fried based that theme on an irish jig that he heard during the climactic fight between john wayne and victor mcloggan in the classic movie the quiet man okay of course bait the most irish person john wayne from my state you know yep. just of course, <laughs> that'd be the inspiration for what it was they find Barrows sobbing. Her Starfleet uniform is all fucked up. She kind of pulls herself together and she's like, I was just attacked by a guy who was wearing a cloak and had a dagger with jewels on it. And McCoy's like, well, that sounds like Don Juan to me. And he, he knew better than what? I did. I was like, oh, is this a reference I'm supposed to know? I'm like, I guess I've heard of Don Juan from Byron, but like, I didn't know he had a, a jeweled dagger. I was right? like, what is this mythology? Like, is this the knife from, uh, what do you call it? Um, the knife from uh, Big Trouble in Little China? or yeah. what? Like, what is going on? I didn't know. When I first saw this, I had no idea who John Juan, Don Juan was. Mm-hmm. 
So this was my first introduction to Don Juan, me being like, Mom, what's Don Juan? And she's like, I honestly kind of don't know. I think it's just a guy who fucked a lot of ladies. Like, I don't know. I mean, that kind <laughs> of is a lot of it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah just yeah. a fictional, fictional Lothario. Pretty much. Um, and, you know, Tonya Barrows, she's all like, yes, yes. It was it was so sort of storybook around here. I was thinking all a girl needs is Don Juan, just daydreaming. Okay, oh, that's okay. That's what you daydream. Oh, no about. wonder. Duh. All I need is a man in a dark cloak to attack me with a dagger. Because you think if she was imagining a romantic version of Don Juan, he wouldn't appear attacking her. Yeah, exactly. And here's the thing. So, well, it's too entertaining to thrill, and what's more thrilling than being rescued by someone? She does want to be true. a damsel in distress, we find that out later true. on. You know. Which, valid kink, um, you know. I, <laughs> and at this point, it's at this point where you have to wonder why none of them have pieced together that it's creating the first thing they've imagined. Like, yep. McCoy thinks of Alice in Wonderland, and then it appears, and they're like, and he didn't stop to think about the fact that he think it. Does it, does everyone's short-term memory erase the fact that they're thinking about this thing beforehand? Because, <laughs> like, when they're asked about it, they remember, but it seems like they don't remember thinking about these things moment before that appears, and they don't go, ha, huh, I wonder if it's action-reaction sort of thing going here. They're all just like, wow, these staggering coincidental vignettes all written by one author, it appears, but all staggering unrelated to each other. <laughs> She's like, you know, I was just daydreaming about someone you'd like to meet. The way you would about someone you like to meet. Don Juan! I mean, there, again, there are a hundred literary characters I would name before Don Juan <laughs> ever right. got into my vocab for like, you know, I'd like maybe meet him, you know. I mean, uh, Alice yeah. Alice in the White Rabbit would be pretty, t like, top on. Right. So, like, I, I don't blame that at all. <laughs> Herc's like, where is Sulu? Did he run off with Don Juan? And she's like, yeah, actually, he, he went chasing after Don Juan. We all know Sulu, swashbuckler. Mm -hmm. um, Kirk has McCoy stay with Barrows. He's like, you know, and he's like, I will go find Sulu. And we see again. The threatening TV antenna appear under the camera and track running. Um, and Kirk, you know, runs across the planet's rocky terrain uh, onto another set. That's right. It's our second outdoor set that's not Africa, USA. It's Vasquez Rocks and Natural Area Park. Also operated by the same person who oh. is an animal. <laughs> okay. Got oh yes, got it, got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so he comes across this beautiful rocky terrain and he sees some beautiful flowers and sort of picks one and starts musing, because that's what I do when I'm searching for a Don Juan. Um, and that's when he sees a beautiful woman in a dress. It's half white. Half black with big red flowers on it. One sleeve, different colored shoes, a white shoe and a black shoe. 
for and, each side of her outfit. And if you ever wanted to know that, again, this is a queer-coded, you know, homoerotic episode, the fact that that could have just been on a fucking runway from Drag Race, I was yep. like, holler, holler, this is gorgeous. A half-and-half half dress mm -hmm. with flowers, but, like, contrasting design elements on it, very sheer, like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. it was gorgeous. And I, I was, and that again, that's where... How are they not imagining these things? How are they not realizing they're imagining these things? Like, where would she get the materials for this on this planet? Why is she here? All these yep. men, you know, when they have a... Going back to McCoy in the first episode, whenever there's a woman that appears that I haven't seen in a while, <laughs> and they're basically like, just like, you have no reason to exist and look like the way that I remember you looking, but boy, shwang, shwang. <laughs> He's all, Ruth? Ruth? And the woman's like, yes, I am Ruth. And just goes and like nuzzles his cheek oddly. As if we're supposed to know who the like, fuck <gasps> Ruth is. Right? Uh, Captain's Log. Investigation of this increasingly unusual planet continues. And we are seeing things that cannot possibly exist. Yet they are undeniably real. Hmm. Hmm. So Kirk has taken a little sit with Ruth, uh, and he decides perhaps now I will try and contact McCoy, but he can't reach him. She's just, and he's just like, Ruth, like, how the fuck are you here? Why haven't you aged? But he's not saying this, like, why the fuck are you here? Why haven't you aged? Tell me the truth. He's like, but how could it be? Why haven't you aged? He's asking, but he's asking in a way of being like, I don't give a damn how this miracle played out. Hey, girl, yep. hey. Yup, yup. Um, he's like, it's been 15 years and you look exactly the same. She goes, oh, it doesn't matter. Nothing, none of that matters. Um, and Kirk is like about to buy this, just like as an explanation when his communicator goes off. Um, and it's McCoy. He's like, have you found Sulu? Uh, and Kirk's like, uh, hmm, Mr. Sulu, no, I'm sure he's all right. I'm sure he's fine. You know, uh, the moments that Kirk, every once in a while, his penis speaks on his behalf are yeah. very funny. And this is one of them where it briefly does. Yep. Yep. He's all right. And he's like, are you all right, Kirk? <laughs> like, what, what? And he's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm I'm great. Uh, and then Rodriguez calls and he's like, Captain, like, there's not supposed to be animals. And I just saw a whole flock of birds fly by. And Kirk's like, don't you like birds? Yeah. <laughs> Sir it's Rodriguez? Like... Hey, you know what? I guess all of our instruments just must be off. Because you know what? I'm believing that there's things on this planet, too. <laughs> like birds old girlfriends bunnies it makes perfect sense perfect sense it's shore leave uh. baby you don't ask questions on shore leave <laughs> kirk like kind of awakens from his days and is like all right rodriguez let, let's all rendezvous in the glade let's all rendezvous yeah if, in, in our in the glade the previously the established glade because all glade. of us know what the fuck a glade <laughs> is 
Like you hear <laughs> you hear about a gyring gimbal in the glade, but you're like, I don't actually know what a glade is. The plugin, like, that's what the glade is. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell by the strong scent. <laughs> it smells like cinnamon apple, but not. <laughs> Ruth's like, you have to go. And Kirk's all, I don't want to. And she's like, you'll see me again if you want to. Dot, dot, dot. dot. He's all, but you haven't told me. You have. She just told you. Yeah, and she, she kind of spelled it out in you. subtext and text. She just did. And now she's going to do it again. Do whatever you have to do, and I'll be waiting. She just walks away. She's cool with it. She's cool. She's cool. Spock calls from the Enterprise. He's like, there is an energy field on the planet. To the surprise of absolutely no one. No one. There is something going on. Not a person on the ship thought of this. They all should have realized. And in fact, it is draining our power in interfering with the communicators. That is a problem that you would think they would come back to at any other point in the episode. But you know what? We have the peril set. We're good. Yeah, they kind of do. I, uh, to be fair, I think they bring it up at least once more when mm-hmm. uh, they get Spock onto the planet. Yeah. He does mention that it's like, hey, it's still draining more and more energy. So just enough yeah. power for me to come on down because we can't pay any other actors <laughs> for on location. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, you can't afford to have all of your actors doing things like going on midday jogs or taking naps in the grass because they're waiting for Gene Roddenberry to finish their fucking script. Yeah, that's the thing. They complain about this director and not liking working with him, but I'm pretty sure this was just a disaster episode. Yeah. And them having to be on location, they just were like losing their minds. And so they just easier to blame the director than it Mm -hmm. was just to blame the writer, you know, famous, like, luminary and so it's easier to pin Mm -hmm. it on him and maybe he didn't react well to it either who knows yeah it's it's just one of those things it's like the director had to figure out how to shoot the scenes at the same time as you were learning your lines like (laughs) they didn't have a benefit either no um so he's like there these are patterns consistent with industrial activity possibly subterranean Kirk's like, cool, keep me posted. We have found an energy field and a subterranean factory. Sweet. Meanwhile, McCoy and Barrows, uh, they're being watched by an antenna as they walk through the foliage. She's like, oh, I feel better about my whole ordeal, but I'm glad I'm not alone, Dr. McCoy. Ooh. A girl in this place should be dressed like a fairy princess with floaty stuff and a hat with a veil. La, 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 la. And what should appear? What should appear? Well, what should appear? A beautiful dress. That's right. She goes, oh, doctor there, love me. Look at me. A lady to be protected and fought for. A princess of the blood royale. And he's all like, change into it. Like, whatever. Like, your your uniform's falling apart. He's, like, put it he on. He basically is like, girl, live your fantasy. Like, it disappeared in yeah. Florida. You're like, go for it. Again, yeah, like, encouraging the, the girl just to, like, dress up. Right? She's all like, all right, but you stay there. Don't peek. And he's like, my dear girl, I am a doctor. When I peek, it is in the line of duty. <laughs> boobs are boobs. 
So he turns his back uh, and is contacted by Rodriguez, but the channel is degrading. Like, he can barely hear him. Um, And, like, McCoy is kind of peeking. He's, like, definitely kind of peeking. She's deep in the arms of Rodriguez, um, who has told McCoy to go to the Glade, but is really concerned because they're holding tightly to each other, leaning against a tree because there is a tiger! Yes, straight from right Africa, in USA. in front of them. Right in front of them, not appearing in the same frame. Wow. Definitely so close to each other. Um, Rodriguez is like, help. But can't reach McCoy. Um, so this is, was a real tiger that was really on set. And Shatner was like, I'm going to wrestle that tiger just in terms of he wanted it on film or just by himself presumably on film um, and then it was lunchtime for the tiger and he saw the tiger eating and was like I don't want to wrestle that tiger anymore <laughs> <laughs> reality set in real fast for him and then um, a grip dropped a light or a reflector and the tiger freaked the fuck out and broke its chain off of the thing that was holding the chain. And Shatner was the closest one to it and like jumped on a box and everyone else froze. And thankfully the trainer was able to grab the chain. That's why there was you also don't supposed work. to be an elephant. That's why you don't work with animals. Oh Lordy, an elephant. <laughs> oh no. That's even worse. Imagine if it's William Shatner it was stomped, on set. stomped like a grape. Yep, it was on set. Uh, it, it was hired, but due to the overtime of filming, because again, Gene was writing it on set, they were not able to shoot the elephant. You, so. you know, I'm... Now I'm just even trying to imagine what fantasy scenario they could have played out with an elephant. And at this point, you, they didn't need the elephant. The elephant would have been too much by this standards and that's saying a lot for this script which is already too much that i knowing that it needs the restraint of not having an elephant they have the (laughs) elephant or the tiger you can't have both you can't no you can't um because then it's like well what are we in the jungle book who's imagining the jungle book here like is that you know the general is that shere khan like i don't know exactly exactly no just a tiger just a random tiger Meanwhile, Kirk is on the communicator with Spock and is like, what the fuck's happening? We have an Alice in Wonderland. We have gun. We have Chekhov Sulu's gun. We have Rodriguez's birds. And I just saw two people. Uh, and Kirk is like, perhaps hallucinations. It's like and Kirk's- it's like he's playing the worst game of like catchphrase ever. And like the clues he's being yeah. given. It's like, all right, your clues are uh, Alice in Wonderland. Gun, Don Juan, um, birds, birds. hallucinations. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Kirk's like, well, uh, one punched me in the face, so I hope not. No, it's it's like, like a hallucination, but it's not a hallucination. Because it did punch me in the face. Uh, and Kirk's communicator signal is weak, and he's like barely able 
to get it down spock's like should i send down more officers and kirk's like no like we have phasers but also we don't know what the fuck's going on here so i don't really also feel like we're in danger really despite having gotten punched in the face okay and then kirk turns and he sees the birds (gasps) elsewhere uh Sulu is suddenly under attack by a samurai warrior who has emerged from a hatch in the ground. Which that just seems stereotypical. Come on. Yeah, it was wild. They also had like one or two shots to film it in because it was already eight o'clock at night when they shot this scene. Um, And they had all the lights up. So he tries to fire his phaser at the samurai, but the weapon doesn't work. So he dodges the sword, runs away, um, runs into Kirk, and is like, Samurai! Ah! And no samurai appears. Uh, They both note that their communicators and phasers are non-operational. You just said you're not in trouble. Now you're in serious trouble. And they're like, let's get to the glade! The glade! The glade! Just then, uh, Sulu notices... Something's trying to materialize. And it's Spock! Yay! Spock's, uh, he's like, this was necessary, Captain. Um, I was unable to contact you by communicator. And the transporter is useless now because all of the energy uh, is being sucked from the ship. Uh, No, if that's a gene writing in and being, he got on the phone with Leonard too. He's like, get down to this place now. I need you on set. We need to get Spock on set. We need someone to help balance this out. (laughs) Quickly drive two hours. Um, So he's like, look, I've calculated that only I, the only energy is for me to come here to fix everything because y'all are wilding out. Um, You know what? It was a good idea. Kirk's like, good, we can use your help um, because now we're stranded. We need someone as unimaginative as me to come on down to help sort these things out. <laughs> Great up. Um, <clears throat> so at the Glade, McCoy and Barrows are looking around for everyone when McCoy sees a Black Knight. Ooh. Um, this was originally written to be a White Knight, but apparently... The White Knight is a copyrighted or was a copyright of the Ajax company or the Ajax company used a White Knight as part of their advertising. Uh, So Callum DeForest was like, no. Interesting. They didn't want it to seem like it was an endorsement of a cleaning product, uh, like product placement on the show. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he's like, it's a hallucination. It can't hurt me. Yeah. I'll be fine. Like, I'm just going to stand gonna in front s- of this Black Knight. I'm just going to stand me. here and do nothing. I'll be good. Famous last words. Uh, yeah, the the knight lances straight through him. Just, just lowers his lance and gallops ahead. Tonya screams. Spock draws his phaser, which of course doesn't uh, work, but Kirk has the gun. The mechanical propulsion mm-hmm. device shoots the knight from his horse and then they run to McCoy who is dead. Which, again, on Star Trek, Captain Kirk using a police pistol to shoot a black knight after he charged and lanced McCoy Mm -hmm. who is now dead. Uh, Mm -hmm. Never 
never in my wildest dreams only in the in the in the wild world of of sturgeon could we have gotten this this yeah. sort of thing going on and of course we know he's not dead but i am just sort of like what are they going to do about killing mccoy like how the hell are they going to get I, out of this right uh so captain's log supplemental all contact with the enterprise has been lost we're trapped here our ship surgeon, my personal friend, is dead. We're certain now that whatever's facing us is terribly real. Kirk sent this message like, it's worse than that. He's dead. Yeah, yeah. So Barrows is hysterical, sobbing. She's like, it's my fault. I put on the stupid outfit. And now McCoy is dead. Uh, this cursed princess outfit that summons black knights. I should have known. <laughs> should have known so he picks her up and is like dude you need to fucking think right now because one of our dudes is dead and she's like okay i got it um meanwhile sulu's like kurt come over here let's look at this black knight it is clearly a wax dummy mm-hmm. it just is a wax dummy Spock performs an analysis and is like, this is definitely just a mechanical construct it's made out of the same stuff that the plants are Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Kirk goes, are you saying this is a plant, Mr. Spock? Um, And he's like, no, they're, no, they're just all being manufactured. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Good thing, again, not having to get into the science of whatever this material is that can make living beings when you need to, but are also conveniently wax when you need them to be as well. They're mechanical. They're multicellular casings. Yes. Every cell is a little gear. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Rodriguez and Martin swat a Japanese Zero fighter aircraft flying through the air. Because let's just get a World War II reference. Let's just shove that into our our giant stone soup of of available material. (laughs) Uh, Rodriguez is all like, remember what I was telling you a while ago about those early wars and their funny air vehicles they used? That's one of them. Martin's like, can it hurt us? And Rodriguez is like, no, as long as it doesn't do this very specific type of a type of attack, which it immediately, of course, starts doing. Yeah, it's, it's just that Alfred Hitchcock movie. Just getting movie. strafed by it, being like, well, I guess we'll be fine as long as they don't strafe us. Then us oh no uh martine is apparently hit but rodriguez makes it to safety just as sulu kirk and spock and barrows they're like oh no a japanese aircraft they turn around mccoy's body is gone and so is the dark knight Uh oh which at this point i was like has mccoy been replicated this entire time then or is this something where it's not so i was even confused by this point what was real and what wasn't Mm -hmm. the disappearing was gene's idea originally it was mechanical arms that were supposed to pop up and like grab mccoy and then it was supposed to be that finnegan would have mccoy's body on a horse and then walk that horse back into the subterranean factory. I like those two things coming back that you set up earlier, the mechanical arms yeah. and the walking the horse into the core of the yep. planet. It's now I'm happy to know the context <laughs> of how the fuck those would have fit into this right? story. Yup. 
Uh, <laughs> she, well, first, Justman is like, no. And then secondly, he was like, no. hell no. Yeah. And Jean's like, all right, <laughs> I will come up with something. Maybe it's just gone. Which was a good move. Yeah. Uh, we just turn around and they're just not there and we don't explain why yet. And they're like, okay, yes, film that. Film the nothingness. Um, but then we get we get Spock figuring some shit out because that's really what we need at this moment. He goes, at this point, Captain, my analysis may not sound very scientific. Uh, there's one possibility. What were your thoughts right before all of this batshit stuff happened? Um, and Kirk's all like, I was thinking about that bat shit stuff that happened right before it happened. Yeah. And that's when, but who should appear? The mythical Irish trickster deity, Finnegan. Finnegan! Jim, baby, I see you've brought out reinforcements. I'm waiting for you. Kirk goes after him and he's like, what's been happening to my people? And Finnegan's like, I don't have the answers or do I? I'll tell you for a secret, but you have to fight me first to get it. Like basically making as much as a leprechaun trickster as humanly possible. Yep. Like, let's just up this. Yep. Yep. Um, and the actor was like, look, I'm young, I'm spry. I can do all of these bits. I can do all of the, the stunts. And they're like, well, we have a stunt guy for the important stunts. So <laughs> so they, Jim like is running after him, uh, tells Spock to go back with Sulu. Um, and he's all like, here I am, Kirk, come find me. Ha ha ha, come find me. And they fill as much time with this You're fight so sequence as possible. It is like minutes time. long of them chasing each other. And I was like, oh, they ran out of story and really genuinely needed to fill time. So they're just like, oh, he just yeah. fights him for a while until he doesn't. Straight up, straight up. They just, they fight. Finally, like, fitting and falls. And he's like, oh, I'm so hurt. Oh, my back is broken. And Kirk tries to help him up. But then he knocks Kirk over. Oh. And he knocks Kirk out. And you think that, like, something else is going to happen. But, like, the scene just changes. And Kirk wakes up. And Finnegan is still there. Like, ha ha, let's complete our fight. Um, most of those were done in one shot. And at a certain point, Finnegan actually did sprain his ankle and had to be taken to the hospital. <laughs> yep. So. I don't, I don't doubt it with the way they were jumping around that place. So, uh, this whole thing, editor Fabian Jordman came up with that idea of having Finnegan just pop out of nowhere all over the place, like as Kirk pursues him. Um, and that was because they didn't have connecting footage. Yep. Um, he had to necessity. figure out something to do with all of that footage. Uh, to give the, he's like, it was to give the impression that Finnegan was perhaps not quite human. It's like, no, it's because they didn't have enough footage. And he's like, uh, maybe it'll make him seem kind of metaphysical. Uh, it worked. Again, trickster. I worked. loved it. It was fantastic. Um. <clears throat> At a certain point, Captain Kirk's shirt is torn and his right nipple is shown. And in the next scene, his shirt is somehow tied up to cover the nipple. This, thank you, IMDb. Thank you. Nipple watch. <laughs> That's under the section nipple so, watch on IMDb. 
they're just fighting, 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 fighting. Finnegan's like, oh, aren't you enjoying hitting me? And Kirk's like, I am kind of. And he's like, you know, oh, I'm behaving exactly the way you expect me to, Captain. And Kirk's like, I'm still just going to hit you. And then Spock appears after finally, finally, he hits Finnegan hard enough to knock him out. Fuck. Um, and Spock is like, did you enjoy it, Captain? Did you enjoy beating off until you got released? Was that apparently because mm-hmm. that's what you needed? Because whenever you start wrestling with a man, you just feel mm-hmm. the need then to come horny and then a woman appears. Mm-hmm. But really, mm-hmm. it's all that physical contact with the man that's getting you riled yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and Kirk's like, yeah, actually, it was great. And Spock's like, that supports a theory I've been formulating. And clearly on the same wavelength, Kirk is like, we've been leaving people and things that we happen to be thinking about at the moment. And Spock's like, yes. Duh. Um, He and Kirk, you know, realize the truth that someone is manufacturing all these things. So they start running because they're trying to tell everyone else this. Stop, so stop thinking. thinking of dangerous stop thinking things. thoughts. Think nothing. They find they run past the tiger now with an obvious chain around its neck because it had gotten loose. <laughs> um, they outrun the samurai. They outrun the plane. And they gather the whole party back in the glade. Uh, you know, Don Juan is there. And they're like, just... Be at attention. Don't ask questions. Face front. Don't breathe. Don't think. You're at attention. Concentrate only on being at attention. Um, and that's when suddenly an elderly man walks out of the bushes behind oh, them. Oh, I was here the whole oh, time. Hello. Let me explain. I'm the old man sent here to explain all the shit that happened before, like a deus ex explainia. I'm the planet greeter. Um, And he's just like, but of course, Lieutenant Rodriguez, Lieutenant Isulu, which he says like, Isulu, which I thought was magnificent. Human barrows. We've just discovered that you don't understand any of the things that have been happening to you. If there ever was an audience surrogate character, has it ever been being like, all right, so you've been wondering what the fuck's been going on, right? Well, I'm here to tell you. Uh, He's like, these experiences were intended to amuse you. Kirk's like, amusement? And he's like, yes, everything that you can think of can be manufactured. None of it's permanent. Um, and Sulu's like, oh shit, like, how can you be that advanced that you can read our minds and create it in a second, uh, but still need to do bullshit? And that's when Kirk says, "Mm, the more complex the mind, the greater the need for the simplicity of play. And, uh, Kirk's like, but also my friend is dead question mark yeah they're like okay but that's nice that you can make anything but you killed my friend yeah like that's nice uh you killed my friend though and they're like good news we can make you new friends too a new friend because mccoy comes out of nowhere with two ladies on his arm two cabaret girls just vegas girls on his side appropriate for tv show girls 
pretty much they have like fake like neon pink and neon yellow fluff mm -hmm. over their titties and like matching gems in their belly buttons uh <laughs> mccoy's like oh um well, I was thinking about a little cabaret I know on Rigel 2, and uh, these girls were in the chorus line, and well, after all, I am on shore leave. And he also mentioned, he dropped in there, oh yeah, they fixed me up. Don't yeah, explain yeah, how they can resurrect the dead, but he's just like <laughs> like laughing about it. He's like, oh, they're machines? Let me tell you. Oh, they'll put you back together again. Like, boy, howdy, will they ever do it? No, again. All the science, no explain. We're just walking past all of it. They're just saying, "Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Just it happened." Machines, machines, um, and it's great because Barrows, with whom you know he has had a flirtation this whole episode, just like well, I am on shore leave, and she goes, "So am I." Ho ho! Takes his arm, and the the ladies each attach themselves to Rodriguez and Spock, um. The caretaker is like, you guys can, like, use this place to hang out. Like, we don't care. Like, we're not going to tell you who we are or anything about us or any of yeah, our technology. They're like, yeah, they're like, so who are you? He's like, oh, I observed you and you aren't ready for that. Like, oh, that's not important. Again, the most beautiful lampshaving, hand-waving ever yep. I've seen of just him literally spelling out and saying, no, you don't need to know that. Let's move on. You guys want to use yeah. this place? <laughs> yeah you want to you want to hang out like i mean like we're cool like i mean use it use the place it is the definition of the legendary pleasure planets they have talked of yep but it, it was an, and i love how spock in there at some point is like i believe these used to be called amusement parks hmm, hmm. parks for one's amusement hmm. on, a, on a park for amusement um it kirk's like fucking sure Sure, I will not look a vacation horse in the mouth. Like, like everyone beam on down. Just have your own Westworld fantasy play out. Pretty much. And Spock is like, awesome. I will go back aboard ship <laughs> and take over. With all due respect to the young lady, I have already had my care. I, I've had too much shore leave. I've had as much as I care for. <laughs> I enough of your human bullshit. <laughs> like, I would like to sit quietly in the ship and maybe finish some tasks <laughs> and kirk's like no mr spock i'll go i'm the captain oh uh and that's when he sees ruth again in her amazing outfit oh, her amazing outfit just strolling down the garden i like i wanted to be ruth in that situation so bad oh, oh she looks so good stunning and then stunning. and then again we get an answer from from kirk's dick and he's like well maybe i should stay for some shore relief <laughs> why the maybe why I'll the fuck just, not i'll just stay I, well i am on shore leave <laughs> back on the enterprise spock asks kirk and mccoy if they enjoyed their rest and they laugh and laugh about how much fun they had spock goes <laughs> that is most illogical we smile, we laugh ahead, warp factor one, Mr. Sulu. And we fly into the into space. We zoom off to next week's adventure. I loved it. I would be so frightened to walk onto this planet because I'd be afraid of being like, what does it think I want? And then Right? <laughs> like, it's like people with intrusive thoughts. Exactly. Like, Literally, it's an intrusive person's thought nightmare. 
Where you're just like, Absolute oh, I'm just walking nightmare. through it. Oh, no, why is there a dead body here? Well, you were thinking of death now, weren't you? It's like, no, I didn't want it to like, manifest oh, itself. Me too. Now he's just serving me mean things. That's <laughs> how it works. Um, Missy, what did you think of this episode? This is one of those ones where it's a top tier viewing experience and one of the lowest tier in terms of writing experience. It is one of the most incredible, (laughs) like vast gaps between those two. Because so much of what I've talked about when I talk about episodes that I liked watching, it's because of the writing or at least some of the campiness, you know, and, and most of that is within the writing and the setting and stuff. This is unhinged. This is, and I say that in the sense of there is nothing to hinge it together. It is truly still just a series of vignettes that we're going through that have a connected tissue that literally at the end, it's just like, ah, nothing mattered the whole time. And no explanation (laughs) is necessary. You just saw what you saw. And that was the episode. Hooray. Like it even tells you (laughs) to not give a fuck about what just happened. It basically is saying like, it's so funny how like in the end they're basically like and none of this mattered like we have made the most filler of filler eps for you like and you are just gonna take that shit sandwich because i guess it's what you wanted from the back of your head and like i i have done D campaigns that smushed together public domain. i literally did a D campaign with my family called domain because it was a mishmash of public domain and i had more thought and coherence <laughs> in terms of what was appearing and what was happening than this scripted. I knew better than to go to like these far of desperate stuff. It's, it's the worst kind of, did you know what this is? This is ready player one. It is ready player one where it's literally just, oh, you walk into a places and it's just reference, 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 reference. And some of it's more generic and not as specific. You know, it it was funny to me that everyone sort of has like thematic things they're thinking of, except for Kirk, where it's just like, oh, here's your friend and your lover. And it's just personal and everyone else. It's like these weird, like storybook setting things. And, but it is, but it's just there because it's a reference point it's just there because you as a person know what these things are so he's only writing them in there to be like a a and when that's done well and when it is done in a compelling way it can be interesting like i like the like i like the idea of the league of extraordinary gentlemen which is sort of like Mm -hmm. uh, you know in a similar vein to this the movie was was you know didn't work uh i've read about the comic books but i've I've not read the graphic novels from from um alan moore um but the story in that seems just like as unhinged as some of it like it it has spoiler alert for the comic books of the league of extraordinary gentlemen beat 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 but one of the volumes ends with Harry Potter being the Antichrist, who is defeated what? by a Mary Poppins, who is God that comes from the clouds and turns him into a chalk drawing. And that is it like, happened after Harry Potter. Yeah, it continued afterwards. Like 2003 is when the movie came out, and if you think about it, that's when the films oh were starting. Oh my God, to you're out. totally so they are right. Contemporary. So yeah, he literally wrote like the third volume after Harry Potter 
was a thing. Like it had it had enough reference Dorian points. Dorian Gray and yeah. Harry Potter are in the same piece yeah. of movie. Diagon or not Diagon Alley, his like half house, the one where his house is like hidden between other houses for I think the Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, fifth Grimald's book. place. Yeah, but like that's referenced in the story. Yeah. yeah. So like it's one of those things where it, again, they're alluded to because they can't do it. But like it basically like there's a point where he realizes he's been manipulated by Aldaf Huxley's um group of like magic people who are trying to summon the devil and aldous aldous huxley yeah he's a character in it it's like he's a magician aldous huxley the author or not aldous huxley it's it's who was the one that founded no who's the one that founded um that strange religion harry potter no not from harry potter it's from in real Uh, life it was the dude yes Um, he sucked yes he sucked Uh, and he hate him and he was awful yeah and he was just his a character yeah but it's i shouldn't say it's him but it's his dilemma. yeah and his character is basically the one that's been plotting this from the beginning and when harry potter in this world realizes that like lord voldemort is this guy alester crowley yes alester, alester crowley so it's it's one of alester crowley's characters oliver caddo i think and when he realizes that tom riddle is sure. basically this guy's spirit possessing him he goes crazy and kills everyone at hogwarts and like there's just like a scene in the panel where it's a bunch of dead bodies all over <laughs> hogwarts in there and like the train has crashed and there's dead bodies so yeah he like goes psycho and then Better uh it's gonna turn into long. like the like literally starts turning into the antichrist like growing into this giant disgusting monster and then again deus s machina within that story Mary Poppins just pops up from the clouds and this goes zap, zaps him into a chalk drawing and he washes away and that's the end. And then, and then, um, Mira, Mira or Mina or Mira from, uh, the uh, Dracula, she's in this. So she, she and, um, Mina. Alan Quarterman, um, I believe is still there. Uh, they just basically watch on and they're like, huh, well, I guess that <laughs> happened. And then move on with their fucking lives. <laughs> this is what this felt like, where that guy, the caretaker, yep. was just coming in and chalk draw washing it away. He's going, oh, well, all that's gone. I wiped all that clean. And I guess we can just move on with our lives now. Or you can, you can stay here and enjoy. Yeah, it, it's that level mm-hmm. of this. This thing is done be- has been done a thousand times better. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because this was done in Star Trek and it's the characters that I know going through all this one of the best viewing experiences from star trek that i've had again you can't predict it not one of the best episodes by any means i mean truly probably the worst just in terms of (laughs) production like unhinged unhinged that someone thought this would be thematically appropriate i mean it worked (laughs) you know what i'll give them credit they gotta fill them to make it work they did make it work but at the same point i I'm happy this exists. I'm happy this existed because so many things went wrong for it to exist. That (laughs) gene didn't speed a little bit faster because Mm -hmm. that letter didn't get sent because they hired an author who's prolific that they probably shouldn't have hired because gene shouldn't have been hiring all these authors that didn't know how to write screenplays and were handing in screen velas. And he didn't learn by that point. He kept asking them. So Gene kept asking for these things to happen. He was practically begging for a white rabbit <laughs> to appear in one of his things. He was like, give me the time and the typewriters and these monkeys will come up with it. I'm sorry. I'm done with my diatribe. I did not expect to feel this passionate this much 
I, I had a lot to get out apparently about this, but I got to tell you, <laughs> wow, boy, howdy. Star Trek is going to amaze you in ways that only productions from the late 60s can. That is the best analysis of this episode I have ever heard. I have put more thought into this episode than they did writing it. I tell you that. <laughs> you kind of get that impression. You know, but at the same point, I also feel like I would like Thomas Sturgeon's mind. I would get what he's yes. going Like, I got what he's going for. It's, it's not mm-hmm. a terrible concept, but it's just, I mean, literally, though, Westworld. This is Westworld. Yeah. This is what they are doing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the concept. So he came up with the the basis for Westworld, essentially. Like, I don't, I don't know when mm-hmm. Westworld was, but, like, this is a parallel to it in terms of practicality. So the idea of this thing can work, but they had it right where it's, like, narrow the theme. You know, they mm-hmm. do this. They do these types of things also with, like, holodeck episodes, essentially, where it is mm-hmm. just, like, we're mm-hmm. going to finger point and just do the thing that you're used to. You know, they sort of did it earlier with the Shakespeare episode. They incorporated Shakespeare into it, which is something mm-hmm. that is anachronistic, you would expect, with a space, you know, uh, series yeah. like it. But it can work when you have that on here. This didn't work, and that's why it's great. <laughs> just, I, I just really appreciate something that is so entertaining while being so yes. truly bad yes. and truly awful in some ways every every episode of tv needs to have an episode that by itself could be submitted for a mystery science theater and yes. you would not you couldn't argue yes. you would not be able to say no you can't touch this you have to go yeah no this that go for it there's so much you can yeah. rip of this there's so yeah. many things that went wrong amazing where would you put this in your ratings i would say i think i have to do the honorable thing and put it on the bottom shelf i think as much fun as i had on it it's not gonna be it would only be one that i would go to be like hey hey do you guys want to see a terrible episode of star trek like literally to point it out and be like do you want to see one of the weirdest and worst but also like we'll just have fun yelling at what is happening sort of things here. And again, like it's it's so worth it to me when it got to the end. I should be mad that they just hand wave everything, but I'm not. I'm like, no, the caretaker is one of the best characters. Like this guy just moseying yeah. on it. I loved it. I'm like, yep, just, just tell me all everything was just this and we'll move on. Like, it's great. It, it does everything that should be annoying and is is somewhat obnoxious, but yeah, I love it. I, I, I am part of Finnegan's planet now. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Where can we get part two? That's not even the next question. Where, Where can, can we, we find get part two? Part two. There was apparently a, and it, they're not sure if it took any of the ideas from Sturgeon's treatment for a part two, but there is an episode of the animated series that, is a part two or a oh sequel. that's very mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. i wonder i wonder mm-hmm. so that'll be if i get my dvd player hooked up <laughs> i can watch that one um but yeah so next week we're coming in on another episode um called the galileo seven interesting the galileo seven missy what do you think the galileo seven will be about so 
my mind goes one of a couple places. One, the first thing that I think of simply by the word association of the Galileo 7, I think of the Chicago 7. So I'm thinking, oh, is someone on trial here? But I'm like, that's very much not likely. I'm wondering if the Galileo 7 could be like a satellite, maybe? So it's like, oh, it's the Galileo 7. And when you investigate this satellite that's out here, but it could also just be the seven people. It's the fact that it's called the Galileo. It's what's going to be throwing me off. Because obviously that is a name of human origin. I don't think it's a coincidence where there's some other culture that also has a Galileo named in there. So that's where I'm leaning more to maybe it might be something of, of Earth or human origin that they have to investigate. But, you know, that's as generic of a name as you could get, the Galileo 7. It does... We're going to see if it tells me on the tin. I'm sure I'm going to hear the phrase, the Galileo 7, and we'll be satisfied that it is indeed in there. But it doesn't just tell me what it is. It doesn't tell me what the is going on. Very true. Even Balance of Terror, oh, the previous episode, that had it. They balanced the terror. True. Like, you they told me what you were going to do, but you better Galileo yeah, 7 terror. people when I'm, when I'm watching next episode. <laughs> Well, let's find out who gets Galileo'd next week. Uh, Thank you so much, Emily. <laughs> hopefully for... more than seven yes. people. Thank you so much, Missy. And as always, live long live and long prosper. And prosper. There's an elephant behind you. Ah! We can't afford it. Oh, no. We're cutting. We're going to have to cut it. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Look out. Oh no, it's stepped on that clown from the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh no! <laughs> it has the taste of blood! <laughs> <laughs>